doing something a little bit different. If you remember correctly, last week we did Genesis 38. Genesis 38 is a little bit of a pause here. So what we're going to do is pick it up back up in Genesis 37, right around verse 25, which then takes us into Genesis 39. So if you're wondering why we're skipping a whole chapter, it's because we covered that last week. Two weeks ago, we introduced ourselves into the story of Joseph. And Joseph is going to be the main character here for the rest of the book of Genesis as we follow his life. And you know what happens in Joseph's life. He was 17 years old. He was daddy's favorite. And since he was daddy's favorite, his older brothers, 10 older brothers, didn't like him. They finally had enough of Joseph. So they plotted to get rid of him. And so what happened is they actually sold him as a slave. Joseph gets sold as a slave, ends up in Egypt. And you know what happens from here. As he ends up in Egypt, he is then accused of rape. His master's wife wants to be with him physically. Joseph does the smart thing and runs away. But she then accuses him of rape, and he ends up in prison. So now he's in prison. Well, then he eventually works his way up out of prison miraculously, and he is now then going to be second in charge of the entire kingdom of Egypt. Now, it's a pretty amazing story. 17-year-old boy, sold as a slave, accused of rape, goes to prison, ends up second in charge of Egypt. If you remember when I studied this two weeks ago, we said there's two verses that show the bookends of Joseph's life. The first bookend is out of Psalm 105, verse 18, that said God allowed these things to happen to prepare Joseph's heart. He was hardening his heart, not in a bad way, but in a good way to make him strong for this. And then our last verse is found in Genesis 50, verse 20, where Joseph says, You this, speaking to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. So remember this, because I don't know what you brought in here tonight. Some of you brought some baggage in, and I don't mean that bad. You're going through difficult times. Maybe you're going through some physical problems. You're going through some emotional problems. Your heart is hurting for a loved one. Maybe you're going through spiritual problems, and your walk with the Lord is no longer a walk. It's a crawl, and you're struggling. Remember these passages with Joseph. Sometimes the Lord allows difficult things into your life to prepare your heart for something bigger coming up. Does that make it fun? No. Does that make it easy? No. But it's a preparation to make it stronger for us as we get down the road. All these things that happened to Joseph, being a slave, being in jail, etc., were all things to prepare him to become second in charge of Egypt. God is allowing things in your life right now to prepare you. So jump back now, Genesis 37. We left this off at verse 24 where they took Joseph and threw him in a pit. A well, an empty well, and they were trying to decide what to do with him. Some of the brothers wanted to kill him, other ones didn't. If you remember correctly, the oldest brother, Reuben, wanted to kind of sneak back and save him. Verse 25, and they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing spices, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come. And let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listened. Then Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned, he's the oldest brother, returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. Toring your clothes is a sign of mourning and weeping. He was coming back to save him. Verse 30, and he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So he took Joseph's tunic, killed a coat of the kid of the goats, dipped the tunic in blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? 
And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him to Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guard. So we see a lot of drama here going on. There's a lot of points to make about this. First one, one quick repeat point from two weeks ago. The guys right there in verse 25 is they're sitting down and eating a meal while their brother is stuck in a well. That seems very cold. That seems very calloused. We know from studying later on in the Bible, while they're eating this meal, they're convicted beyond belief. So I just want to let you know, when you run into somebody who seems so cold, so callous, so hard, so whatever... A lot of times they're so convicted you can't even imagine. And I don't know how many times I've sat down and talked to somebody and they said, this person is awful, this person hates me, this person is saying these awful things. And my response usually is, I bet they're convicted. Oh, no, they're not convicted. Their heart is so hard. Yes, their heart is hard. Part of the reason why they're lashing out at you is generally because they are convicted. The spirit is heavy on them. I've shared with this before. If I come home and I end up snapping at my wife or snapping at my kids, first thing Dawn asks me is, what's wrong? What's going on? What's going on in the heart? There's a reason you're acting like this, and it's usually because I'm convicted by something, and you take it out on the people you love. So what happens here? These brothers are trying to act all cool and calm. Let's eat a meal. The Bible says later on they actually felt awful for what they did. Now, note what happens. Let's break this down. Verse 27, Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. You realize what they're saying? Let's sell him as a slave and it's no longer our fault. You know, if something happens to him, it's not our fault. Our hand isn't upon them. We have passed the blame. Have you ever run into somebody like that who just constantly passes the blame? It's never their fault. I mean, if they say something wrong and you correct them and you say you shouldn't talk like that, well, I wouldn't talk like that if you wouldn't do this. I wouldn't act this way if you wouldn't do this. It's that passing the blame thing. That's exactly what they're doing in verse 27. If we sell him as a slave, it's no longer our fault. Even though you're the ones that caught him as a slave, threw him in the well, and sold him as a slave, it's out of our hands. Remember what the book of James says. James chapter 1, if you're taking notes, verses 14 through 15, comes right out and says this. If anyone is drawn away and enticed, it is by your own desires. You can't pass your sin on to anybody else because it is your fault. If you say something inappropriate, they may have egged you on. It's still your fault for lacking self-control. If you're holding bitterness or anger towards somebody because of something they did, it's not their fault. It's your fault for holding on to the bitterness and anger. So often we pass blame on. We pass sin on. I wouldn't be this way. I wouldn't act this way. I wouldn't talk this way if they wouldn't do this. I don't know how many times I've heard in marriage counseling, well, you make me act this way. No. We choose to act that way. We have a lack of self-control and we allow sin to come into our lives. So verse 27, just because Joseph is out of sight, doesn't mean he's out of mind. You can't pass the blame. You can't pass the fault. Now Reuben, verse 22, look at what Reuben says. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. Look at this, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Reuben had a good plan. You know, he basically said, don't, don't kill him, throw him in the pit. Well, what happens here is you see what's going on in verse 29. Reuben comes back, Joseph's already gone. We made this point a couple weeks ago. If you want to do the right thing, do it right then. That's the best time to do the right thing. Do it right then. 
James chapter 4 says, If anybody knows the good they ought to do and does not do it, to them it is sin. Meaning, if you know you should do it, then do it then. How many times in life do we know what we should do? And it's something along this type of line, I know I should probably tell him I'm sorry. All right, the next time I see him, I'll tell him I'm sorry. So what you're really saying is you feel so bad, you know you should tell him sorry, but you're willing to wait possibly hours, if not days, till you see him again. No, do it then. You know, I probably need to go tell him this, or I probably need to go do this. Just do it then. The right thing to do is always at that time. Reuben should have stood up, verse 22, at that moment and said, Brothers, this is not right. This is wrong. No. His intentions were good. Come back later. But he waited too long. First point, not my fault, passing the blame. Nothing new there, right? Remember what Adam said to God when Eve ate of the fruit? The woman you gave me. Remember, he started passing the blame right to Eve. So the first argument in marriage, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, is Adam blaming his wife for what Adam did wrong. Nothing has changed in 6,000 years. We as husbands always blame our wives because it's always their fault. So nothing's changed in 6,000 years. We still like to pass the blame. Second point, do good now. Do it now. Third point, verse 31. We have to figure out how to do this. So now is the big cover-up. The big cover-up. So the big cover-up is let's take his coat, we'll rip his coat, we'll cover it in blood, and therefore it'll make it look like uh, something else happened. But cover-ups are nothing new. You remember when Jesus rose from the dead, the Jewish leaders didn't know what to do, so they went to the Roman soldiers and bribed them and said, here's a story you're going to say, here's the cover-up. You realize how quick we learn to cover things up? As a father of five, I've shared this with you, that if I ever see my boys behind the couch... Nothing good ever happens behind the couch. They are behind the couch because they took something or doing something they shouldn't. My two-year-old Tyrus, the other day, I walked into my room. Immediately, two hands went behind the back. Tyrus, what do you got? Just shook his head. No. I know you got something, buddy. What do you got? He got into the candy. He was unwrapping it. I did a hospital visit earlier this week, and I took three of the boys with me to go. And when we got to the hospital visit, um, due to some visiting restrictions, they weren't able to go. So I went up for the visit, and I said, okay, boys, you can't come with me. I'm going to put you here in the waiting room. Just wait. I'm just going to be down a couple of doors down. So I went, and I did the hospital visit, and I came back just to check on them. And I came back, and one of the boys was in tears. And I said, what's wrong? And they're like, ah, he was scared. He you know, doesn't like being here by himself. He doesn't know where you're at. I'm like, buddy, I'm right down here, right down here. So I said, okay, just we'll figure this out. So eventually I get done with the hospital visit. I take them home, and we're talking about the one son kind of being upset, being in tears because he was scared. And so my oldest son, Elias, said, yeah, a gal came in, saw him in tears, and said, what's going on? Is he okay? So Elias, who's nine, this is what he says. He goes, Dad, I tried to think of a good cover story. Now, where did he learn that from? I I mean, I'm being serious. I'm not even going to make a joke about Dawn being a heathen. I don't know where he learned that from. I said, cover story? What are you talking about? He goes, I had to think of a good cover story, so I decided I was just going to tell everybody he just got a shot. And that's why he was crying. I was like, where does this come from? It's, it's making up a story. I mean, th- this is what we do. Joseph sold as a slave. What are we going to do? Uh, We've got to think of a story. Let's rip up his clothes. Let's dip it in blood. A wild animal killed him. Seriously, look back over your life, your years of existence, the decades you've lived. Have you ever thought, wow, 
that was a really good lie. I'm glad I did that. No. You live in fear. You have this initial reaction of relief. I got away with it. Followed by, what happens if they find out? Followed by, I got to keep the cover story up. Followed by, this isn't worth it. It's not worth it at all. Guilt. Guilt's an awful thing. Can you go with me to Joshua 7 real quick? Guilt's an awful thing. I I thought it was interesting. I started thinking back to all the times I've talked to people as you're going to Joshua 7. And I started realizing, most any time someone comes to me with, with a problem, there's a solution we can give them. And I don't mean that in some type of cocky, I have all the answers. I'm saying the Bible has all the answers. But one of the biggest issues to deal with that I, I can't help somebody get over. This has to be between them and Jesus. You know, if somebody comes to me and they're struggling with this, I can give them the verses on the power of Christ over sin. I can give them the verses on salvation, etc. But when somebody comes in racked with guilt, they got to have some one-on-one time with Jesus. And it's interesting, I started wondering, how does the world deal with guilt? So I just typed into the internet today, how do you get rid of guilt? And there's a seven-step program to get rid of guilt. And I read through it, and I thought, this is the stupidest thing I've ever read in my life. Because you can't get rid of it. If you feel guilty over something you did, there's one answer to getting rid of guilt, and that's you confessing your sin to Jesus Christ. And then once you confess your sin to Jesus Christ, you usually need to go make peace with the person that you've wronged. Now, sometimes they accept it, sometimes they don't. You can't do anything about it. But these brothers are building up this, this guilt thing. You know, we got it. We, we sold Joseph. Now we got to get a cover story. Now we got to go back and tell dad. And guess what happens when they come back and tell dad? Do you realize how cruel they are? They walk into their father. They walk into their father with this blood-stained coat and say, Do you know who this is? They know who it is. And then they had the audacity back in verse 35 when his dad is weeping. They said they tried to comfort him. Seriously. Guilt. Well, what do we have here when it comes to the whole thing? I wish we had time to go through all of Joshua chapter 7, and we don't, but I need just to go a quick little background. Joshua chapter 6, they destroyed Jericho. A great military victory. Amazing. The Lord just wins the battle for them to God be the glory. One little rule. Don't take anything. Don't take any of the gold, don't take any of the silver, don't take any of the idols, because if you take something, it makes it look like you won this battle. Nope, God won the battle. So what happens is, they win this great battle, they leave. They get to this little town of Ai, in chapter 7. And verse 2, they send some men to spy it out. Verse 3, the spies come back and say, you know what, we only need two or 3,000 guys. Ai is nothing. They go up to fight Ai, and what happens in verses 4 and 5? They get completely whipped. They defeat Jericho, this huge monster of a military victory, and then they can't defeat tiny little Ai. Verse 6, Joshua is repentant, saying, Lord, what have we done wrong? So God then comes to Joshua, and he says in verse 11, there's sin in the camp. Somebody did something, they shouldn't have. So basically, they go through this whole process now in Joshua 7 to find out where this sin is. And the Lord says, I'm going to reveal it to you. So jump ahead, verse 16, they get up in the morning and they find out that it's the tribe of Judah. Verse 17, they find out of the clan of Judah that it's the family of the Zarhites. And then they find out of the family of the Zarhites 
It becomes the Zabdi. And of the Zabdis, it finally becomes this guy by the name of Achan. Verse 19. Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel. Make confession to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. Verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I've done. Look at verse 21. Look at the progression. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them, and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Look at the progression. Verse 21. If if you've got New King James, this is how my word reads. He saw, he coveted, he took, and then he hid. That is the progression of sin. You see something, you want it, you covet it, you take it, and then you hide it. And I'm not just talking stealing. It may just be all mental. You see, and you're jealous. You're jealous of what they have, you're jealous of that marriage, you're jealous of that life. And so you covet that life, and so mentally you take that life, and then you hide that jealousy. Or maybe you looked at stuff you shouldn't have, and so you... Take it and you hide it by deleting the history on the computer. Or maybe you say something about somebody, but you say it behind the back, gossiping, and don't tell them I told you. Let's hide this. This is the progression of sin. We see, we covet, we take, we hide. And guess what happens when we hide stuff? It gets found out. Verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. And they took from them the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerai, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkey, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones, still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Now, I thought about when I was preparing this study, you know what, I could just stop right after verse 21, and we don't need to teach on the stoning of Achan. Because what happens is you hear about that, and you go from, oh, Achan's a bad guy, to, well, Achan really didn't deserve all that, did he? you got to remember what this is a picture of. Achan is a picture of the dangers of sin. Sin has to be dealt with, it has to be dealt with quickly, and it has to be dealt with effectively. Achan's sin affected a whole nation. Achan's sin was brought on punishment to his whole family. See, this is what happens. As a father, if I choose to live in unconfessed sin, it affects my wife, it affects my kids, and it affects an entire church. You may say, no, it doesn't. Yes, it does. It does. We have this tendency to think sin is personal and private. If you are married, whatever sin you choose to hide is going to affect your marriage. It will affect your kids. It will affect your relationships. Even if you're not married, it will affect your walk. It will affect your witness. Because sin is a powerful, ugly thing that eats away. Achan is a picture of what sin can do and how it can bring down an entire thing. Going back now to Joshua, these guys are trying to act all calm, cool, collect. That's not their fault, passing the blame. What they're going to do now is they're going to cover it up. And then they're going to come back and show fake concern and comfort. We know studying later in the book of Genesis, these guys are ripped up by this. They're tore up by this. And really what happens is they just need to confess. And I'm just going to be blunt. If there's something that you brought in here tonight, some type of sin, it's just time to give it over to the Lord. Why would you want to carry it? Why do you want to hide that in your tent? 
It's not worth it. It is not worth it. Be open, be honest, confess it, give it to the Lord. If you need to go make peace with somebody, go make peace with them. That is what we learn here from what these brothers went through. Now, we'll stop real quick. Does anybody have any quick questions, comments about any of this before we move on here? Yeah, Marcus. Is there any significance um, to the fact that it was Judah? I mean, when you look at the different tribes that came from that I know. It is an interesting one. Why was it Judah the one that had the idea of it? A lot of people look at what happened here with uh, Joseph, and they make a comparison to Jesus. Joseph rejected by his brothers. Joseph sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus rejected by his brethren, the Jews. Jesus sold for 30 pieces of silver. Some people have thought since it came from Judah and the Messiah comes from Judah, this is a picture of the nation of Israel rejecting Jesus, just like Judah rejected Joseph. So that's why they think they could be of Judah. So just something interesting to look at. But if you really look at Joseph's life, he really is a picture of Christ. I mean, this idea of basically thought to be dead, come back, showing grace and mercy to his brothers when they didn't deserve it, kind of is a neat little picture there. Anybody else have anything here before we move on? Yeah. The interaction between the brothers, Reuben was kept out of the loop, and yet they lied to him and kept him in the dark. At some point, he had to know because it said, we, yeah. they came together to, to approach the brother. Yeah, Reuben, you mean talking about how Reuben kind of kept this a secret too? Yeah. Some, eventually he went along with it. And if you look in, let me find the reference here real quick. And I'm not going to be able to find it here right off the top of my head. Reuben, in Genesis 42, I'll just read this real quickly. Reuben answered them and said, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Reuben also carried this guilt just as well. And I think you bring up a good point there. Sometimes with sin, we're just as guilty when we allow it to happen. And Reuben, his intentions were good, but he didn't act on it. And and I've seen in marriages and I've seen in relationships, when somebody knows that the other person is doing something they shouldn't, and they're not rebuking or admonishing that person, I think they carry a little bit of that on them themselves too because they're not stepping up and taking care of it. And you're absolutely right, Marcus. Reuben could have went back and said, Dad, we did it, we're wrong, we're sorry, let's go chase down these Midianite guys and get Joseph back. For Reuben, it was easier not to say anything. And let's just be honest. Have you not ever been in a spot where you knew the Lord had asked you to do something, to maybe go correct somebody lovingly, maybe rebuke, admonish, what have you, and you don't because it's easier to not say anything. It's never easier to not say it. It's, it's better to do it. It's better to say it. One of my favorite Proverbs says, open rebuke is better than concealed love. Meaning, it is better to say, I love you enough to correct you than to step back and say, well, I love you so much I can't say anything. How can you love somebody so much to watch them suffer? I don't get that. I love you enough to say something. How often, though, when we say something, it kind of blows up in our face. And that's where we say, it would have been easier if I didn't say anything. No, that person's under conviction. That's why it blew up in your face. Open rebuke is better than concealed love. Reuben should have still said something. He went along with it. He still went along with it. Anybody else got anything here before we go on? Three in a row. I don't know if we can do three in a row, man. It's kind of, it's like an auction and you're only one bidding. So it's all yours. Not kidding. Go ahead. Uh, they didn't actually 
directly tell their father a lie. They left him yes. aside for himself, but they lied by own and, and that is a very good point. Verse 32. Look how cruel verse 32 is. We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? Oh, come on. Verse 33, it is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Uh, that's what he said. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't, didn't tell him it didn't happen, but I also didn't tell him that it was right. Or right. Yeah, you're right. These guys let it go. And, and, and like I said, I want to keep stressing this point. They carry this guilt. And we're going to get to this when we get to Genesis 42. They carry this guilt for years. And it eats at them. I mean, they come right out and say, it eats at them. It's not worth it. It is just not worth it. Confession, repentance is always better. It may hurt more initially, but the years you carry this guilt and shame, it's not worth it. That's the beauty of Christ. He wants to take care of it right away. It's a beautiful thing. Anybody else got anything? All right, jump ahead real quick. This is just going to set the scene for us. We're just going to go ahead to verse chapter 39. We're just going to do the first six verses. It's just one quick little point here. We already did 38 last week. So Joseph is now sold as a slave to Potiphar, who's an officer of Pharaoh. Verse 1 of 39, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, right there. If you're a note taker, underline that. The Lord was with Joseph. Note, the Lord was with Joseph in prison. The Lord was with Joseph as a slave. The Lord was with Joseph in the bottom of the well. If you came in here today and you were facing difficult situations, the Lord is with you. It may not see it. It may not feel like it. You may not fully grasp it. But the Lord is with you. You may say, well, if the Lord is with me, why is he allowing these things to happen? Look at Joseph's life. Remember our bookend verses of Joseph's life. Psalm 105. This is a preparing of Joseph's heart for the bigger things coming down the road. Verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that, look, the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. Real quick. You're sold as a slave. Are you going to work the best you can for your slave owner? No. We've lost this, haven't we? It is amazing how many times I talk to Christians and they have a bad job, they have a bad boss, they have a bad whatever, and they come right out and say, you know what, I don't care what they think of me. I'm just going to go in there and do my stuff and get out of there. This is stupid. But what about Colossians 3.23? It says, work if working for the Lord, not for man. That's a convicting verse. Joseph could have easily said, why am I doing all this? But the master saw the Lord was with him. The master saw that. And it always amazes me when I quote that passage to people about work as if working the Lord lot for man. And then they usually do some little chuckle and say, yeah, but if you had my boss. Like it's almost like some escape clause. It's like God's looking down from heaven and saying, yeah, your boss is such a jerk. You don't have to. I'm giving you an exemption for that one. No. Work as if working for the Lord, not for man. Verse 4, so Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. Potiphar says, this guy's so good, I'm going to let the slave run the house. Verse 5, so it was from the time that he had made him overseer of the house and, and all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Then he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. We'll, excuse me, we'll stop there because that's our segue to next week. But the Lord was with Joseph. 
in the middle of the slave, in the middle of the jail, in the middle of the pit, the Lord was with Joseph. He was working for the Lord, not for man. Here's my last point I'm going to make. It would have been really easy for Joseph, sold as a slave, to focus on his situation. We say this out here all the time. You focus on the Savior, not the situation. If you focus on the situations you're dealing with right now, you will be depressed, you will be discouraged. Because some of you have some very depressing, discouraging situations you're going through. Maybe some physical issues, some spiritual struggles, some emotional struggles. It is depressing, it is discouraging. But if you keep your eyes on the Savior, you always have joy. I don't know how many times I've told people over the years, when they come in and you just see them drop this baggage, you're focusing on the situation, not the Savior. Joseph, he's focusing on the Lord, not the fact that he was unfairly sold as a slave, not the fact that he was supposed to be in charge, now he's a slave in Egypt. I mean, think about this. If anybody had the right to say, my life is miserable, wouldn't it be Joseph? And not only even now, just wait till next week when he's accused of raped and thrown in prison. He focuses on the Savior, not the situation. And I, and I stress this, and I hope this doesn't come across as antagonistic. I don't care how difficult your situation is. Your situation is not bigger than your Savior. It's not. Focus on the Savior, not the situation there. And we're going to continue this theme next week as we get more into Joseph's life. So anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything before we close up with a word of prayer? Ryan. Yeah, it's kind of a little ambiguous. We don't know for sure. And even if you go on the lighter side of how long it could have been, this is still an innocent man who was thrown in prison for a crime he didn't commit, and he still never lost hope. It's kind of an amazing thing. Amazing thing. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? Yeah, cool. In what, in Proverbs? For what verse was that? I'm trying to think of what verse I said. Open rebuke is better than concealed love. Yes. Um, thank you. I can find that and let you know right off the top of my head. I'm not able to remember that is, but I will find that and let you know there. Anybody else got anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray once again that you'd be with us. And I just want to pray.